0: Hi, I'm Dan Pramak, and welcome to Axios Recap, presented by Facebook. Today's Thursday, December 10th. New jobless claims are up, odds of a stimulus are down, and we're focused on the king of global hospitality. Airbnb began trading today on the Nasdaq at a valuation north of $100 billion. For context, that's more than Marriott and Hilton combined. You could even add Expedia into that mix because it owns rivals HomeAway and VRBO, and Airbnb is still worth more. It's also the single largest IPO of 2020 and may be this year's most fascinating corporate story. Many viewed Airbnb as pandemic roadkill back in March, as travel ground to a halt, and Airbnb might have thought so too. It raised new equity and debt funding at an $18 billion valuation, which was down from a prior mark of $31 billion and in May, laid off around 25% of its staff. But then a funny thing happened. People began traveling, not overseas or necessarily even across state lines, but driving distances to more rural spots that Airbnb had in abundance. And lots of those stays came with higher price tags and for longer durations because people didn't have to rush back to the physical office or school. Plus, most Airbnbs allowed for social distancing or isolation without front desks or elevators or housekeepers to be clear airbnb's revenue is down from 2019 but it turned a third quarter profit and investors clearly believe it's well positioned to benefit from whatever 2021 throws at us we'll go deeper on all things airbnb with company co-founder and ceo brian chesky but first this We're joined now by Airbnb co-founder and CEO, Brian Chesky. So Brian, you're viewed as kind of one of the last IPO holdouts of your kind of generation of Silicon Valley founder. Did something change for you or did the clock just kind of run out? Basically, why go public and bring Airbnb public now?
1: You mean why would a travel company go public in the midst of a pandemic? Something like that, yeah we always intended to be a public company um this year we we had been running everybody like a public company for the longest time or we gradually becoming a public company and then of course the pandemic hits our business drops by 80 percent in eight weeks and no one could fathom that we go public so we go heads down we pivoted the uh, the business or we really focused the business and then suddenly something pretty remarkable happened this summer we saw people getting in cars and traveling to nearby Airbnbs and then suddenly we saw a major rebound in our business and at that point we said let's begin the work we didn't know when we'd be going public but we wanted to be ready and you know i think this IPO just indicates our confidence in the strength of the community we also just thought you know, in times of uncertainty, the calculation I made is that people would be willing to make a kind of investment based on a long term business, and they would be able to see past near term volatility. So we thought, well, if that's the case, now is a great time, because we've been operating like a public company for a long time. And the sooner we can bring on shareholders that really understand our differentiation and bring on hosts, the better.
0: You know, when you go back to, say, March, April, May, in April, you guys raised some money at a relatively low valuation by Airbnb standards. You obviously do layoffs. Knowing what you know now, and so this is a pure Monday morning quarterbacking question, what would you have done different in March and April if you knew that kind of that rural beach, et cetera, market was about to emerge for you?
1: I mean, everything would have been different, right? Like every decision we made was based on the information we had. The information we had was this is a once in a generation or once in a a century crisis. We were in a storm. We didn't know how long the storm would go on. And so we made cuts and raised debt based on that. Obviously, if you knew it would all be different, you would do different things. Um, I'm happy for, you know, Silver Lake because they're going to get a really nice return. Um, You know, many of the employees got laid off, have jobs elsewhere. Um, if employees are interested in coming back, we've we've said that we wanna be careful about like getting ahead of our skis. But you know, we are absolutely seeing interest in people coming back. And, you know, we're gonna be hiring a lot of people in the coming year. So I hope to have people come back.
0: When you came into 2020, when you thought of Airbnb, there was a couple things that you guys were really moving into beyond your core business. Experiences was a big one that's something I know you personally were very interested in. Obviously, you guys had bought Hotel Tonight and the hotel part of Airbnb was growing. When you think of Airbnb post-pandemic, does all of that stuff come back or are there certain things that you were moving towards that you now think, you know what, we don't need that thing?
1: Yeah, actually, it's a really good question. So, you know, everything that we were pursuing that we put on pause, we could bring back. So there's nothing that I would take off the table. That being said, you know, I think that we were reminded of a very, very valuable lesson in the crisis and that's one of focus. In other words, there's an old, I had a teacher once tell me, Brian, you can kind of do anything you want just in your life, just not all at the same time. And I think the benefit of what we learned was the power of focus. When you take all your very best people and you focus them on just a few problems or one problem at a time, you're more likely to be successful and you can stagger things. I mean, you look at what Apple went through, they had a crisis. They had to get really focused in the late 90s. And of course, they launched many new products after. So, you know, I took inspiration. You know, I kind of you kind of look up to people um, that are your heroes and, you know, they were a very successful company that learned focus. And you thought, well, if it worked for them, the most valuable company in the world, you know, focus is like very, very valuable. So, you know, we don't see a lot of these opportunities as perishable. Like most of the things we put on hold, they're going to be available. These aren't perishable opportunities that are going away in the future. But we do want to hold our investments to a higher ROI than what has been historically pursued in some of these investments and just really make sure that we are prioritizing, you know, things that make Airbnb so special. And that's really our host. I mean, our host is the thing that is probably most special about Airbnb. They're the center of Airbnb. And we think at a time like now in a recession, we think millions of people are going to turn to hosting. So that's where we're going to focus our energy right now.
0: Speaking of hosts, a lot of Airbnb hosts traditionally have been urban, have been, you know, people who have apartments inside of cities that piece of the business obviously dried up in a lot of cities. How confident are you that those hosts are still going to be there when they're able to really start renting their rooms out again?
1: Well, they are still there. I mean, like just statistically, we have um, you know, a similar number of listings on Airbnb as we did before the pandemic. So they're still there. Most of those numbers are disclosed in the S1.
0: Brian, can I rephrase? How confident are you demand will return since a lot of that, and, and tell me I'm wrong, was maybe business travel that might not actually happen as much anymore?
1: It's really hard to say, and, you know, obviously, any ability I thought I had to predict the future in January, I've now been humbled by, you know, so everything I thought would happen this year didn't happen because of the pandemic. Um, I think that um, a couple things are true. Number one, I think most people would agree with what you said, that business travel is not going to recover for a very long period of time if it does, because obviously, like, a lot of the need for business travel is replaced by Zoom and stuff we're doing right now. I, we also think that mass tourism is probably going to be a little bit smaller. Mass tourism as defined by basically crowded masses of people waiting in line, getting on double-dugger buses, standing in, in tourist districts, that will probably go down. That being said, I do think that people are going to desire to explore. Right now, we're seeing a lot of small cities, rural areas, but I mean, cities, um, ha- cities will come back. I just don't know when. So I think it's a matter of when, not if, and wh- I just can't possibly know right now. One of the things that
0: you guys have had to deal with for years is regulatory fights, often with municipalities over what should be and what shouldn't be allowed to be rented out, how those rules work. You seem to have gotten a bit of a reprieve this year, in part because municipalities were so desperate for anybody to come in and they arguably had much bigger things to worry about. Do you believe those fights returned to you guys post-pandemic? Is this just kind of a temporary
1: lull? Well, I think that like, if we were to just take a broader point of view, over the last 10 years, we were getting into a significantly better place every year. I mean, a lot of people don't realize that we're one of the largest remi- collectors, remitters of hotel tax in the world. We've collected and remitted billions of dollars. We have partnerships with hundreds of cities and jurisdictions around the world. So things were already improving. You still would hurt heard of things. And what COVID did is what provided a further reset, a reset in the relationship. And I think that, you know... Um, Cities are very interested in incremental tax revenue. A lot of cities are seeing major tourism shortfalls. A lot of people don't realize that, you know, I think the biggest export in San Francisco is not tech, it's tourism. And so I think a lot of cities, uh, you know, are probably looking at Airbnb a little differently. But we don't take that for granted. We continue to want to be good partners. I think the reset is just an opportunity for us to come in with humility and just show, show that we can be a solution to a problem, not part of the problem. And that's what we're thinking through. And I think there's a real path here to continue to deepen our relationship. That's what I'm focused on.
0: Brian, let's talk a little bit about the IPO. You guys priced the stock last night, $67, $68. I apologize, you opened over twice that today. And I know that CEOs of companies will always talk about the importance, and I, and I appreciate that, of getting you know, the right base of investors, the right long-term investors who will be with you and grow. That said, there's also a case to be made that you guys left around $4 billion on the table, which is more than you even raised in the IPO. Talk to me how you kind of reconcile those two things, because again, $4 billion ain't nothing
1: you know, son of social workers, um abundantly aware of like the numbers we're talking about are pretty they're they're all they're all pretty mind boggling. Um what I would say is that um, you know, I think, you know, everyone it felt really good about the process. We were very, very rigorous. I think, you know, I, I can't explain everything um, about why people are reacting the way they are to the stock. But one of the things that is probably an explanation is that there is a very big um, interest from retail, you know, everyday people that want to buy the stock. And, you know, you, you know, it's really, you know, that is always, um, you know, you, you never can quite tell how that's going to play out. So um, I, I would just say, you um, You know, we didn't raise a lot of primary capital, actually, if you kind of think after the after 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 taxes, there wasn't it was not four billion dollars that we actually raised. And so, um, you know, I feel very good about the outcome. And I think that um, I especially feel good for all those who obviously are going to benefit from this.
0: DoorDash obviously goes public yesterday, another stock, very different company, but another stock that had a lot of retail interest. You obviously saw it prices high. It stock then skyrockets. Did the DoorDash experience yesterday impact your thinking at all last night when you were pricing?
1: Not no, a, a little bit. I mean, it, you know, you, you got to be very careful about trying to extrapolate any one company because there were so many possibilities for why um, DoorDash. I mean, I mean, you know, DoorDash is a food delivery company in a pandemic, so they're doing incredibly well. So I think the key lesson that I always took is that we have to focus on Airbnb. You know, we're a travel company we're going public in the midst of a pandemic. We've got uh, a a very unique story to tell. And we got to be very careful about comparing ourselves to other companies thinking the market is X, the market is Y, because of course, we also are in truly unprecedented times. And it's pretty hard to predict this kind of stuff. It only seems obvious in hindsight. It's not always obvious um, when you're kind of in the middle of it making decisions.
0: Brian, final two questions for you. The first is, when we get to some sort of vaccination, you feel like you can easily travel anywhere. Where is the place you want to go? And then the second question, when's the last time you slept on an air mattress?
1: Wow, those were those were good questions. The last time I probably slept in an air mattress, um, I could have been trying to remember the last time, probably a couple of years. although I don't remember the right time. But I do remember Um, I'll, I'll do the second question for and then the first one when when I have a lot of memories of air mattresses after even the first weekend. And the reason why is, you know, one of my co-founders, Joe and I, um, we entered this program that's called Y Combinator. And during Y Combinator, we would go to New York City like every week or every other week because that's where the few users were that we had. And I remember um, we didn't even – we did, by the way, we didn't book Airbnbs when we traveled to New York. We didn't even have money to do that. We couldn't have afforded to do that every week. I mean we we're literally living off of credit cards. So – Joe and I would basically go to New York every weekend and inflate. My sister would inflate air mattresses in her apartment. It was like a studio apartment. And so we were all like uh, or maybe one bedroom apartment. So Joe and I were sleeping on air mattresses almost every weekend in New York City, getting up every morning in snow. This is like February 2009. Like going door to door, taking photos of host homes because that back then people didn't have good cameras on their phones, uploading them. So I have a lot of memories of sleeping on air mattresses for, uh, for like three, four months during Y Combinator. It's been a while since then, but I've done it probably, I don't, know, maybe a few years ago. Um, as far as where do I want to go next? Um, you know, um, there's. There's, I think, there's something like 400 national parks in the United States, and the average American lives a tank of gas from a national park, and most have never been to a national park. Um, and I've been to, you know, I went to Yosemite not too long ago, but I would love to go see another national park and when the when the when the um and just kind of really connect with the outdoors because I've been so holed up in my house for so long that I think the most opposite thing would be just really connecting outdoors. So that's what I'd really love to do, and then obviously. Airbnb is great because there's not hotels in national parks, but there are homes in the perimeter. So you can stay in a house in the perimeter and they can go camping inside.
0: Brian Chesky, co-founder, CEO of Airbnb. Thank
1: you so much for joining. Thank you so much. Good to see you.
0: Welcome back. What we're watching today is the FDA, which is meeting to consider an emergency use authorization request for the COVID-19 vaccine developed by Pfizer and Germany's BioNTech. This is the vaccine that reported around 95% efficacy in phase 3 clinical trials, but which requires ultra-cold storage temperatures. Authorization is expected, maybe even by the time you're listening to this, with state-directed distribution to begin within days for frontline medical workers and certain assisted living home residents. Also, two other vaccine developments. First, Moderna Today said it's begun testing its vaccine in adolescents with plans to enroll 3000 kids down to the age of 12. And also AstraZeneca released more detailed results from its phase 3 clinical trials, which seemed to suggest it might work as just a single dose, although there continue to be significant scientific criticisms over how the drug maker conducted its trials. Today we're also continuing to watch stimulus negotiations. The latest is a political report that Mitch McConnell's staff told other congressional leaders yesterday that the bipartisan bicameral proposal that's emerged is unlikely to satisfy enough Senate Republicans. In the meantime, America's economic and public health get grimmer by the day. And finally, I want to let you know that this Saturday, I'll be hosting our latest Peloton fundraising ride of 2020. This one's going to benefit something called Restaurant Strong, which is a fund to benefit full-time restaurant workers hurt by the pandemic. So if you've got a Peloton bike, please hop on this Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, and choose the Together We Ride with Robin Arzon from March 28th. Just go to your search engine and plug it in. More riders equals more dollars, thanks to our generous sponsors. And if you'd like to donate, please check the thread pinned to the top of my Twitter account, at Dan Primack. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. It's my producers, Tim Schovers and Naomi Shaven. have a great Dewey Decimal System Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios recap.